0: When you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, when you walk in the ways of Jesus and are born again, you are born into the family of God. Welcome to Elevate Retake. My name is Michael, and I'm the teaching pastor for Elevate, a community fellowship of Keaton Church. On Elevate Retake, you can expect to hear thought-provoking, biblically-based messages that I and some of my friends share. We want you to experience faith as the continual everyday process of learning more about the Bible, ourselves, and about God. And I believe this podcast will be just what you need to come to a closer relationship with God. We're continuing our season. You got to try this. It's an invitation to an experimental and experiential relationship with God. And man, has it been great so far. Thank you so much for listening. Let's turn it over to our host, Danae.
1: Thanks Michael. Today's episode is Try God's Grace. The engaged question is what is the difference between expectation and surprise? The key passage talking about here is Hebrews four sixteen. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The key theme is if you have ever felt like you weren't enough for God to love, This discussion is for you. This is an invitation to an experiential and experimental relationship with God to try God's grace. Guest is Laura McCormick, local teacher and part of the Elevate Community Fellowship.
0: Welcome home. There's always room for one more. I'm joined this morning by Laura McCormick on one of our elevators. So glad you're here. Thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, I've been in the Keen Church forever, since my days at CTA, since my days at Southwestern. So this is definitely my home, and there's always been room for me. I am very proud of this Elevate um, ministry. I think that you guys are filling this, this amazing, amazing space for us. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Been a teacher for lots of years and taught in lots of places. Yeah. Um, I have two kids. One of them, Candace, is back there somewhere hidden around uh, working here.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, it takes a team to do all of this, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Um, we've had a fantastic conversation earlier this week about God's grace, and we're going to be diving into that this morning um, with those of you at home. So before we do that, just want to remind you, we have a series guide that goes along with this series as we kind of finish everything up. Some of you um, texted me and called me and said, hey, it'd be great to have some practical points and some further discussion and study on this. So if you go to thisiselevate.org slash try, you can sign up to receive the You Gotta Try This series guide. And we'll email that to you maybe even today if you're blessed. So uh, check that out. It's going to awesome. be good. <laughs> So this morning, uh, we are continuing our series, You Gotta Try This. It's an invitation to an experimental and experiential relationship with God. And our engaged question today is, what's the difference between expectation and surprise?
2: And you and I talked about this a little bit. Um, expectation is what you are thinking is going to happen. And You know, I thought about different scenarios like uh, birthday parties and job interviews and first dates. Mm. What are the expectations connected to all of that? And the difference in the surprise part is what actually happens. Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah. And I think for me personally, I'm not. Uh, my wife can attest to this. I don't deal well with surprises. <laughs> I like to know what's coming or what's going to happen. There could be some fine details here that that kind of get me. So I'm really heavy on the the expectation side. I want to know what I'm getting into uh, and what I can what I can get out of a situation. But we we're talking. You actually like surprises.
2: Right? I do like surprises. Um, when you're expecting something and then you are given something that like exceeds that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's fun. But my husband also does not like surprises. So I learned early on uh, that we have two different ways of of dealing with things there. (laughs) There
0: we go. Might be a guy thing. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) So how does this then tie into our passage this morning? Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. I want to go ahead and read it again. And then we'll kind of dive in and unpack that passage and see what the Bible has to say about grace. Uh, Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 say this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And here's the kicker. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need.
2: And that word grace pops up a lot in scripture, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You and I were talking about the fact that you can kind of slide the word grace into so many blanks and it works. Um, He showed me forgiveness. He showed me grace. Mm -hmm. Um, He gave me mercy. He gave me grace. Um, It's just one of those words that kind of encapsulates a lot of different feelings. Mm. And I love the fact that there is a throne of grace and mm. that we can find grace there when we come boldly.
0: Right. And often God is pictured as this God who uh, is vindictive and judgmental and wrathful. Yeah. But Hebrews breaks it down here and says that he sits on a throne of grace. Yeah. And I think far too often we don't talk about what it means to be before the throne of grace, what it means to worship of God at grace, how God's grace impacts my life. Yeah. And as the writer of Hebrews is writing here, It sounds like that person is saying that we can almost expect grace because the throne of grace has been established. We can come before God, receive mercy, which is, you know, it's pardon for our sin. It's things that we've done before. And then also receive grace to help in our time of need. And some versions will translate that as grace in the nick of time or grace right when we needed it. Mm -hmm. And that's the grace and the strength that we can live from day by day.
2: Yeah. And I think that's where that whole expectation surprise thing happens because I expect my God of grace to show me grace. But when he does, mm. it's so amazing that mm-hmm. it surprises me. Yeah. You know, it, it's beyond what I was expecting every right. time.
0: Even when we have that level of expectation, we say, okay, yeah, God's a graceful God. He's going to forgive me. <sighs> I'm surprised afresh and anew mm-hmm. every time he does that. That's right. So we wanted to take a look this morning at the biblical perspective. Of grace. And we've got some stories in our notes here. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of them this morning, Um, but let's start out with Adam and Eve and the fall in Genesis chapter three.
2: Sure. And Adam and Eve is one of those stories. I mean, I cannot wait to talk to those characters. Um, When we get to heaven, I have so many questions for them. Um, They kind of did things that I did not expect. Mm-hmm. because of the situation that they were in. Um, and I, I always go to that moment after the snake and after the fruit and after the when God shows up. Mm-hmm. And when God shows up and says, uh, you know, where are you? Where mm-hmm. are you? Of course he knows where they are. Where <laughs> are you? And here they come. And in that moment, in that moment, instead of pointing fingers and saying she and, and, and the snake and he, what if they had expected God to step up right then? And mm. and what if they had just come to God and said, "Oh, we messed up. We did exactly what you told us not to do." What's yeah. next? Right. You know what if?
0: Because in that story, they're kind of bashful about it cuz Eve kind of wanders off a little bit and I think Adam was kind of right there with her and they're at this tree that God's told them to avoid and the serpent says, God's lied to you, um, he's actually a God that's holding something back, and there's something more that you um, are going to experience if you eat from this this tree and they choose that path and then they they realize they they sin, they fall, they go against God, and all of a sudden they realize their nakedness, and I think it was more than just a physical nakedness, it was uh, an emotional nakedness, it was a mental nakedness all of a sudden like oh we've just disobeyed God. And that leaves you completely bare. And they try their best to cover themselves. And then as you mentioned, the finger pointing. But I really like God's approach there, because when he comes to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, he asks a simple question. Where are you? Yeah. And he asked them that. And theologians have debated back and forth the significance of this. But I believe that God is not only asking for their physical location, but he's asking for the relational location. He's asking them, where are you in relationship to me? Trying to get them to understand where they were. And I think in that moment, as you alluded to, if Adam and Eve had maybe approached differently and said, we're right here and we're messed up. We don't know what would have been written God's response. Don't know. But even in that moment where God could have just instantly killed them, he does something different.
2: Yeah, he has a plan. Mm-hmm. And that plan is a plan of salvation and a plan of grace. And it goes back to that whole grace was there before the fall. It was waiting, yeah. just like it was waiting for Lucifer, you know, mm-hmm. back at the first sin. And that that's an incredible thing. Um, I guess the distance, the distance that Adam and Eve felt instantly. They distanced themselves from God and then they were hiding. They didn't know what to do with that. But God steps in and I like that. I like that image of God right then. I I like that he is someone who accepts and doesn't beat up, you know, he accepts. Yeah.
0: And that grace is is an extension of God's character. Absolutely. In that moment, God had every right. He told them, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And he had every right in that moment to (laughs) drop dead, kill him. But his compassion and his grace and his character shown through. Yes. And there's other places in the Bible that alludes to it. Ellen White talks a lot about it, that the the plan of salvation was even created before the world was created. That there is this escape hatch that if by chance the humans decide to fall, then we've got a way to redeem them because we, we can't, and speaking we as the Godhead, they're convening and talking together, and they couldn't imagine a world without us. And so God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit went to every extent that they could to make sure that the universe existed with us in it. Mm -hmm. And now it's up to us to choose grace and to try God's grace and let it impact our lives.
2: Mm -hmm. And the choice is an everyday choice. Mm -hmm. It's an everyday choice. It's a multiple times in a day choice to keep choosing God and to keep choosing grace. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. There's a another story. Uh, we're kind of going to be flipping back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament mm-hmm. this morning. John chapter 8. There's this woman who's set up to be in this really compromising situation, and some Pharisees grab her, pull her before Jesus, and say, look, this woman has committed adultery. What are you going to do about
2: it? I love this story. I love this story because it gives me such a snapshot of Jesus. And in John 1, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, mm-hmm. full of grace and truth. Mm. Jesus was that man who was full of grace and truth. Yes. And he walked it and he lived it in a way that I can I can emulate, I can follow that mm-hmm. because he lived it here. And this story is amazing because there's Jesus, and I think it was the Sabbath when this happened. There's Jesus, and there's all kinds of implications about writing in the sand. Um, It was prophesied in Jeremiah that there would be writing in the sand. And here comes Jesus writing in the sand about this woman who's been brought to him. And that moment where he stoops and writes is that moment of grace. Mm-hmm. because he certainly, I mean, they were trying to trip him up on the law of Moses. Yeah. What would the law of Moses do? And, and frankly, the law of Moses would have had the man who committed adultery right there, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The law of Moses called for both of them. But here they brought the woman, that poor woman yeah. who'd been set up for this all along. And she's standing there and her accusers are standing there. And there's Jesus riding in the sand mm. and he's quiet. And what he's writing, nobody knows. Yeah. But whatever he wrote, when those men stooped to read, those men stooped to read, they went away.
0: Yeah,
2: He could have called them out. Yeah, I mean, what he knew and what he wrote, he could have called them out. Hey, you, you know what you did last night. Hey, you, you did, he could have done that. He didn't do it. Yeah. What an amazing moment of grace. Mm-hmm.
0: And he had every opportunity there to address the men in that way. Yes. Because they were the ones that had set her up in that situation. And it seems to be the right way to go. Maybe not the right thing to do, but uh, within that circumstance, it seems allowable, perhaps. But in that story, we often focus at the grace that was extended towards the woman that was caught in adultery. But the men, even as the, the dirty deed that they did, they were extended and afforded grace as Absolutely. well. Because Jesus didn't condemn the men
2: Absolutely. and he didn't
0: condemn the woman. And he told her, go and sin no more. And that starts to ring in my ears, Romans chapter eight, where Paul says, therefore there is no No condemnation condemnation
2: in Christ Jesus. And
0: even in that situation, grace was extended towards the woman and towards the men. That's right. And I imagine in that community that had a profound impact on the body of believers that were in that space.
2: Yeah, the witnesses to this. And here's another situation of, What did you expect to happen? Mm -hmm. And what were you surprised by? Because you certainly didn't get what you expected. The surprise was better. You were surprised by grace. Absolutely. It's a great story.
0: Mm -hmm. The men were expecting Jesus to condemn and to beat her down. But they were the ones that were surprised. And I'm sure she was surprised too. She didn't know what she was getting into. Oh, yeah. And in God's economy of mercy and his economy of grace, there's this expectation that it is going to show up but we're always surprised by how it shows up.
2: Yes. And I guess grace is always going to be surprising because it comes from a very pure place Mm -hmm. and it doesn't come often from us humans, Mm -hmm. you know. So when we see it displayed, when when we display it ourselves, it surprises us. Yeah. Wow. I could have done that, but I did this. And these people are always going to be surprised by Jesus's grace. They should have gotten used to it. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) But... (laughs) For sure. There's another story we we'll want to look at. It's found in John chapter 12, mm-hmm. um, verses 1 through 8. It's also found in some of the other gospels, um, but this is the one that we're going to particularly look at. Um, mentioned this one before in the conversation I had with April Snyder, talking about beauty and talking about aesthetics. And it's the woman, probably Mary Magdalene, uh, who comes before Jesus and anoints his feet. Mm-hmm. And one of the disciples, Judas, kind of stands up and he's like, hey, that was really expensive. That money could have gone to the poor. Mm -hmm. Have you seen our budget, Jesus? We have all these line items allocated to ministries and everything else. And this woman is wasting money on anointing your feet. And Jesus says something very powerful in verse seven of John chapter 12. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always will have the poor with you, but you do not always have me.
2: Surprise! Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. not what was expected. Again, Judas was really really focused on doing the thing right, mm-hmm. and of course we know about him, mm-hmm. and and we know also right then in that moment Jesus could have called him out. Yeah, didn't do it. Yeah, didn't do it. Turned his attention to instead surprising us with grace and uh, leave this woman alone. Look what she's doing for me, mm-hmm. grace. Yeah. Yeah. And it
0: begins to ring in the back of my mind again, the idea that Jesus says, whatever you do, the least of these you've done to me. And in that moment, she's doing it to Jesus and he almost seems to reverse it and says, because you've done it to me, you're doing it to others. And it's this kind of weird back and forth that doesn't make sense in um, our economy of transactions. You know, We live in a culture and in a society that I do something for you, you do something for me in return. We exchange money, we exchange favors, whatever that looks like. And Jesus says, No. These actions, anointing my feet was significant to Jesus. Uh, Ellen White will comment uh, in The Desire of Ages that the smell of the perfume that she anointed him with there would still be on him through the Garden of Gethsemane, through the crucifixion, through the trial, through everything else, and that she had anointed his body. And one of the other gospel writers will say that this woman's story will be spoken about for generation upon generation. And what she's done to Jesus, the expression of grace that she gave towards him is going to be talked about by so many people. Here we are talking about it.
2: Exactly. And I always think about this woman and the courage that it took for her to do what she did. The courage, because she knew, she knew as soon as she broke that thing and started, they were mm-hmm. going to know. So she couldn't so. be hidden. So she was going to draw the attention of all those men in the room and draw all the criticism, and she did it anyway. Mm-hmm out of a heart that was pure and, and full of love. Absolutely. So Jesus's response right then, again, was, was for that person exactly what that person needed.
0: We've got a question that actually came in that's gonna tie into the last biblical example that we're gonna look at today. And I think the Holy Spirit's working this out. Somebody wrote in and asked, can you please explain the differences between salvation through grace versus salvation by self-righteousness that most religions in the world teach?
2: Wow. So that's a loaded question. Yeah. So we're
0: looking at salvation by grace versus salvation by self-righteousness. And I want to go to Luke chapter 15 and look at the story of the prodigal son.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So if you've got your Bible at home, go ahead and turn there to Luke chapter 15. Um, The story begins in verse 11, and we'll probably pull out a couple of key passages here But the story goes that a man had two sons and the younger one, in verse 12, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the young son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country where he squandered his estate with loose living. Mm. And what's so interesting about that is that the younger brother basically tells the father, I wish you were dead. Because the only time that you got the inheritance was when the person giving the inheritance died. And you would receive that as an estate towards you. And so he basically tells the dad, I think of you as dead. Can I just have my money? Mm. And he leaves. But then he realizes after he squandered his money, he realizes in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And it's right there in that moment that that son, the younger brother, decides that he is going to try salvation by self-righteousness or salvation by works.
2: Mm -hmm. Something he could earn. Mm -hmm. And his expectations were low. Mm -hmm. He just wanted a job from his father. Just give me a job. Just something so I can make some money and and feed myself and not have Mm -hmm. to eat what I've been, you know, feeding the swines, what I've been doing. And yet here comes the gift. And I feel like this story for me has always been not the story of the prodigal son, but the story of the father. Hmm. The father just shines in this story because Mm -hmm. there is no one, and I'm speaking as a parent, there is no one who can hurt you, put a dagger through your heart like your child can. I mean, when a child comes to you and says, give me that money. And it's like, oh, (laughs) seriously. And and I'm leaving. Oh, you know, there had to be lots of conversations that happened after that question and before that son left because that father wasn't just going to go okay there was going to be a struggle there a love struggle there son you're making a mistake please think about this Mm -hmm. but he left and then here comes this son coming back to ask for a job just a job and this father doesn't even give him that opportunity Mm -hmm. oh wow he's running out there to meet his son He's, he's telling these servants, put sandals on his feet, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on. We're going to have a feast. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even, he just surpassed that expectation completely mm-hmm. and went to the point of, you're my son. Yeah, I love you. There's no way I'm going to set you to work for me.
0: Yeah,
2: It's beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you're my son. How could I do that to you? I love you so much. Yeah. And I think that's the picture of of salvation through grace versus salvation through my own works, is that I can try as hard as I can, go out in the parking lot, and I can get my exercise jumping for joy and trying to getting myself into heaven, and it's it's not going to do it. I could feed thousands of families. I could uh, do all these great works. But if I don't have a personal connection with the Father and realize that I am his son and that there's so many other people in the world that are his sons and daughters too— when I accept God's grace, that is when I have salvation. That grace is extended freely. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But, and I also think it's very interesting to to play off of the word of inheritance, because there's really nothing that you can do to receive an inheritance. The son asked for it. The true intent of an inheritance is that it's given to the biological offspring of someone else. So there's literally nothing you can do to receive, to earn that inheritance. Mm-hmm. That inheritance is given to you because you've been born into a family. And I think grace acts the same way. When you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, when you walk in the ways of Jesus and are born again, you are born into the family of God. And it's that point that you receive the grace and the salvation that's extended. to and
2: you. And frankly, given the choice of the two, I got to work for it mm-hmm. and cross my fingers, or mm-hmm. I just have to accept a gift. Yeah. Why don't we just accept a gift? Yeah. You know, yeah. why do we fight that? Why, why don't we just say thank you and take that gift and, mm-hmm. and consider it done? Yeah. yeah.
0: And when we take that gift, when we truly receive grace into our lives, that does something to us, it does. doesn't it? Because if we haven't truly received God's grace, then it doesn't change us. But truly receiving God's grace transforms how we
2: live. It does. It really, really does. Um I think that we surprise each other on this planet Earth by showing that same grace to each other and I think that it is first unexpected Mm -hmm. and then received. But hardly ever, hardly ever, you know, if a cop pulls me over because I've been speeding, doggone it, I was, I was speeding. I deserve the ticket. I have no excuse. I can't say anything about it. But if that cop says to me, you know what, this is a warning. I'm surprised by it. I'm relieved by it, and it was totally, totally a gift of grace at that moment.
0: Absolutely, and it's interesting. You also bring up the example of a police officer because in our country now, there's so much
2: unrest, oh, a man. lot of stuff going yes.
0: on, because there are certain persons of color that, from looking at it, they're being targeted simply because of the color of their skin, the pigment of their skin, yeah. and that is absolutely, totally wrong to the T. We can't get past that. Yeah. And when grace floods our lives, all of a sudden, now I'm going to see everyone I interact with in a different light. Yes. Grace compels me to realize that you're a child of God, that you're a child of God, you're a child of God. Yes, And that goes beyond any pigment of our skin, any height, any whatever. And I think that in the society that we live in with so much racial tension and so much unrest, you know, Jesus told us this was coming. We shouldn't be surprised that there's unrest in our, in our world today. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He says, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And just because we shouldn't be surprised by it, that we should expect it, doesn't mean that we should halt our own seeking of justice, our own loving of mercy, our own uh, walking humbly and extending grace towards other people.
2: Yes, yes. And it seems that we have to depend on God to give us the timing on all of those things. Mm -hmm. When is it the right time to show grace? When is it the right time to enact justice? When is it the right time? But in all of that, in all of that, if we just saw each other through the eyes of God, if we just saw that Mm -hmm. we're all related, we're all the human race, if we just fit into that and not have one side and the other, so much would be changed. Yeah. So much, so fast.
0: I want to share a quote from the author, Bob Goff. I've quoted him several times in the book, Everybody Always. Um, he shares this quotation. It says, when we draw a circle around the world like grace did and say everybody is in, God's love gives us bigger identities than we used to have. With our newer, bigger identities, we can draw even bigger arcs around people's lives. We start to see that our time here isn't meant to be spent forming opinions about the people that we meet. Just because of the way you look doesn't mean that I can assume something about you and form an opinion about you. It's an opportunity to draw circles around them that grace has drawn around us until everybody is on the inside. And so in every detail of my life, the way that I can stand up to the injustice in the world is in every interaction that I have with someone on this earth, is to draw a circle of grace around them. Mm-hmm. And until proven otherwise, treat everyone with respect and with love and with care and compassion and grace that draws them closer to God.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, I, I have so many times in my life when grace has been shown to me, and it always stops me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. And it always makes me think, wow, you know, that that's that's amazing that she did that for me, that he did that for me. Thank you, God. Mm-hmm. And then there are those moments in life when I have shown grace and it's something like, I don't know, it's an out of body experience almost because <laughs> you step into something and then you look back afterwards and you go, wow, that was not the way I would have reacted under normal circumstances. It was very surreal. Mm-hmm. Um I read a couple of books by a priest in California. His name is Greg Boyle, and he's been in L.A. for over 30 years. Tattoos on the Heart, Barking to the Choir, amazing books. Totally recommend them. Um, Be ready for crazy gang stories because (laughs) that's what this priest has dedicated his life to. And I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, via Zoom last Saturday night. He came to our book club, and Greg Boyle is... uh, He is different. He has learned to see things through a very different lens Mm -hmm. because of his time there. And he's got something that he calls the strategy of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he describes it like this. You stand with the least likely to succeed until success is succeeded by something more valuable, kinship. You stand with the belligerent, the surly, and the badly behaved until bad behavior is recognized for the language it is the vocabulary of the deeply wounded and of those whose burdens are more than they can bear. Mm. So its he's got this way of looking at a person who's totally messed up mm-hmm. and, and might be totally coming at him. And he sees past that. Mm-hmm. And, and he realizes immediately, this is not about me. Yeah. This person's got something going on.
0: Yeah.
2: The strategy of Jesus is becoming, coming into kinship with that person. Right.
0: And you have an experience that you were sharing with me a couple days ago about how that became very real to you with one of your students.
2: Oh, that's like one of my favorite grace experiences in the classroom. I was in an inner city uh, school at the time, and I was teaching high school English. And Chris walked into my life, and Chris is a senior, though I'm not teaching senior English. Chris has failed every English class he's ever taken. Mm. And now it's his senior year, and he is... Crossing his fingers that somehow he can get enough credits and pass enough things so that he can actually graduate. Chris is bigger and older than anybody else in my classroom. And sometimes the other kids remind him of that. But Chris had this just natural way of carrying himself. He was kind of above that. Mm-hmm. He, he, didn't, he didn't pay attention to the teasing and, and he just he carried himself so well. We read a book in class. It was called uh, Watership Down, and it's about a bunch of rabbits, and, uh, <laughs> which sounds like a crazy thing for inner city kids to fall in love with, but they fell in love with that book. Yeah. We had such a good time with it for, for a couple of weeks, and then it came time for the exam. And I told my students, you know, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want you to make your own exam. Mm-hmm. You create it. You take it. I'm going to give you criteria. It's got to be so many questions. And, you know, teachers do this kind of stuff because we think, you know, what's the best studying? What's the best learning? Create your own test. Know all the answers. You got it. So I did that. Of course, they thought I was a fool. Oh, wow. You know, this is going to be the easiest thing ever. Mac doesn't know what she's doing. And I was like, okay, okay. just just make the test and turn it into me the day before. Give me a copy. Give me an answer sheet. Got to have all that the day before the exam or else you'll take my exam on exam day. So they hustled. They got their exams made. They brought me their copies the day before. Chris was all just walking on a cloud. I am going to pass this test. I'm going to. So here came exam day and I passed out the copies of their exams and they're sitting there and they start taking the exam and I'm walking around and I always play music in the room when exams are and I I usually pray for people during exams because I I want them to just be able to relax, you know, Mm -hmm. don't stress. And and I was especially praying for Chris because of anybody in the room, he needed to succeed on that exam. Not for just academic reasons, but for his Mm self-esteem and for his confidence, he needed to succeed. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching him and he's becoming visibly agitated and he's becoming impatient and he's scratching out answers and he's choosing other things. And I think, oh, no, no, no. This cannot backfire, this, this will be the worst. He jumps to his feet and he takes that test and he rips it up and he throws it down and he starts cursing. And the other kids in the class, they kind of look up at him, they go back to their test, to their credit, they're kind of used to that language and they're not phased. He starts cursing and he starts yelling at me, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm, I'm lazy, and what kind of teacher passes her job on to her students? And just using every curse word. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, instead of getting riled up, which I've done before, (laughs) because shockingly, students do get angry at teachers. I didn't get riled up. I saw this kid and I thought to myself, what is hurting him? You know, what is? So I went up to him and I grabbed him and I pulled him into this little closet I had in the classroom. Never done this before in my life since. And I said, you're going to go back in there. You're going to pass that test. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me, and he's still angry, and he's going, I can't remember. Is it T, T, F, or A, B, C, or C, B? I can't remember. And I said, forget the patterns. You made the test. You know the answers, Chris. Go in there and pass the test. And it's like that thought had never occurred to him, that he actually knew the answers to his own test. We walk back into the classroom. I give him the second copy I have. He sits there and he starts taking his own test and this time he starts sitting up a little higher and straighter and he's taking his own test and i'm like thank you god thank you god that moment changed both of us it changed me and it changed chris we had a bond after that that was so different and 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 so strong and he became my greatest ally and my greatest advocate for the rest of the year mm-hmm. I had a kid transfer in after that transfer student who accused me of being a racist one day. And um, he was all in my face. He didn't even know me. Mm -hmm. We had just started out together and he's yelling at me. And here comes Chris. And he steps between us and he looks at this kid and he says, nope, she's on our side. Yeah.
0: And I love when you shared that line with me a couple days ago, I was blown away by that. Uh,
2: It makes me cry every time.
0: Because as we approach people in our lives, and they've got this misconception about God, misconception about how Christians treat other people, our whole goal is to let everybody else know that God is on our side, that he's the one gunning for us. God's grace extends far beyond what we could ever think, ask, or imagine.
2: Absolutely. And as
0: Christians, we must live our lives to the extent that we extend grace in every possible moment that we can live. And if we do that collectively, we start individually with our own heart, but then do that collectively, we can end up transforming communities Absolutely. into the beautiful picture of God's kingdom. And as we finish up this morning, there was a poem that you shared by Stuart Tyner. He's a um, uh, the apostle of grace yeah. from the Adventist church, and he's yeah. done a lot of writing on grace. And as we finish, I want you to share the, the first part and the last part of that poem, and I think it really coalesces and wraps up our our topic of grace.
2: Yeah. Stuart Tyner uh, based his this poem in the prologue on a verse in scripture, the grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's Second Timothy 1-9. And this is called Before the Beginning. Before our birth, both yours and mine, there was an invitation. Before we ever sought his face or tried to earn his favor, before we knew to worship him, Or righteousness to savor before our praise, before our works, before our pulse was grace. And he goes on in this poem to trace the history of the church and and stories and how grace was there first. And he ends it, he ends it like this. Before the gathered angels sang the wondrous incarnation. Before the shepherds sought the place where Mary birthed the child. Before the manger held our hope, and on him wise men smiled. Before the star, before the birth, before the song, was grace. Before young David brought God from God a giant cancellation. Before in dreams the grand staircase, a need identified. Before old Abram learned to trust the Lord who will provide. Before the trust, before the need, before the stones, was grace. And this is the end of it before the first pair wakened in a finished new creation, before their maker knelt in space to breathe the breath of life, before the garden's vow was made to crush the head of strife, before the fall, before the breath, before the world was grace.
0: Wow. And you watching and listening at home might be thinking, how do I, I I don't deserve that grace. God's grace was extended to you before you even thought that's right. Before this earth was formed, that grace was made available to you. We're gonna talk more this afternoon. There's some questions that have come in about how, what can we expect when we don't feel like we're close to God and how can we overcome emotional barriers when our sins seem to indicate that we're not saved. We're gonna talk about that more this afternoon. I look forward. We to that. encourage you at home to try God's grace, to simply bask in the beauty of a God who loves you and has done everything that he possibly can to save you. All you've got to do is try God's grace.
1: You know, I think of that verse that God does exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ever ask or think. So I do like surprises personally, but I'm also a very observant person. So I'm actually kind of hard to surprise. I remember this one time when my husband showed up in another state for my birthday and had a whole 30th birthday party planned for me. However, my husband does not like surprises. Surprises stress him out. And I think maybe part of that is because he kind of feels in debt to the person who surprised him. Like he's got to return the favor. I don't know. But I do like surprises. And one of the things we have to get used to because we aren't in control of everything is that God is going to surprise us at times. I really like the point that was brought up how Adam and Eve, you know, they were asked, hey, where, where are you? But that wasn't really the question because God knows, you know, where they were. The question was, where is your heart? And that really got to me because I feel like that's something God is asking me every day. God planned ahead for the fall. And to me, that's something that I like in lots of stories and maybe even some movies that I see when characters read the situation ahead of time and they prepare for it. They're confident because they've done their research. God's grace is always going to be surprising us because it comes from a place that is so pure and so self-sacrificing and always for our good, even if we don't know it yet. God surprised me. I didn't really want to move back to Texas from Michigan after graduate school, but God had in store for me to work on the radio. He had in store for me to work on acrobatic silks, and I I never could have imagined these things. And we need to learn to accept that, that gift of eternal life and learn to like surprises, especially from God. Well, if you don't like surprises from people, that's okay. Learn to, to be surprised from God and be okay with it because only God knows what the future brings and everything he does is for our good. He's never going to give us a surprise we don't like. So if you forget everything that you hear, hear this. God is on your side. Where do you still need to believe that in your life? Thank you for listening. Elevate Retake is recorded weekly at Elevate a community fellowship of King Church. Our audio is captured by Blake Snyder. Sound design and editing are done by Shane Miosi and Inspire Productions. Our executive producers are Michael Gibson and Jonathan Coker. Our team includes Evelyn Alanis, Candice McCormick, Semu Segola, Alethia Galvin, Emily Weaver, and Issa Manu. Special thanks to Danae Sanji and 88.3 The Journey, and the King Church Media Team. You can find Elevate Retake on Instagram at Elevator Tape. For more about Elevate Community Fellowship, visit thisiselevate.org. Currently, our services are live-streamed every Saturday morning at 10.15 a.m. at thisiselevate.org forward slash live. We'd love to have you join us. There's always room for one more.